world is getting smaller and more connected every day, setting the stage for globalism and the rise of the Antichrist. What should believers be doing? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers insights and encouragement from God's Word to help you stand strong no matter what the future holds. Here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, an international prophecy, globalism. The Bible says that uh, as we draw nearer to the time when King Jesus is reigning on this earth, and as we draw nearer to the Battle of Armageddon, that there will be a coalescing of nations and people will be trying to um, come together and there will be a decided uh, movement toward globalism. We see it every day. Uh, I hear discussions about universal um, monetary means and all of that. Certainly, many of the things that have happened in your lifetime and in mine have contributed to that. The Internet and its incredible power over all of us is right in the middle of this discussion. But the Bible has some important things to say about this and some warnings. And uh, we have not only part two of globalism today, but in this part, some very positive, encouraging things for you to consider. So in just a moment, we'll open our Bibles and we'll begin. If you want to find where we're headed, it's uh, Revelation chapter 13. Uh, we want you to have the book that uh, is behind all of this teaching. It is a, a beautiful book, 240 pages, a hardcover book that includes um, 10 chapters to help you take an honest look at the critical and troubling issues of our day. If you order the book today, we will send you, along with the book, Warning Signs of the End Time, a chart which will help you isolate these issues as you study them. So for a gift of any amount to Turning Point during the month of May, when you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. Once again, it's the book, Where Do We Go From Here? And it's available to you this month for a gift of any size. Here's Globalism, Part 2. Zechariah the prophet speaks of a day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against Jerusalem. Israel will be the center of it, and the people of the earth under the leadership of the Antichrist will join forces to try to take out the nation of Israel. And just at that moment, just when it looks like there's no hope, when you could look at it from a human's perspective and say, Israel is toast, it's over, that's when Christ will return. Like a rock that strikes the edifice of world history, it sends shattering into the wind, and all of these nations that thought they were so great under the leadership of the Antichrist will be destroyed. So the trend lines of history are moving in that direction. The Bible says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Isn't that true? Isn't lawlessness already at work? Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Let me just add, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. When is the Holy Spirit taken out of the way? When the rapture happens. Where does the Holy Spirit live? He lives in you. When the rapture comes and you're taken out, the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. What the writer of Thessalonians is saying is lawlessness is going to break out in the tribulation. Somebody says, why is it going to be so bad? Because all of the influence for good will be gone. The Holy Spirit won't be here. Just think what this world would be like now without the influence of Christian people who stand in the way of total chaos and destruction. Well, that day is coming. The Bible says it's coming. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Who's that? That's the Antichrist. 
whom the Lord will ultimately consume, says Paul, with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. What a turn of events. So this is the climax of human history. When Christ will come again as a conqueror, he will come on a white horse followed by armies. The Armageddon armies of the Antichrist will be dispersed and annihilated by the spoken words that come like a flaming sword of his lips. I have to pause and tell you, I used to wonder, it says in the Bible that when he comes again to fight against the nations who are gathered against him, see all these nations come against Israel and then all of a sudden they see the coming of Christ and they turn their attention from Israel if they only knew what we knew and they decide they're going to take out Christ. And the Bible says he comes from heaven with all the saints and all his holy angels. Remember that? And then it says, we're all dressed in white. Who goes to war dressed in white? (laughs) Well, if you're not going to fight but just be a spectator, you can dress in white. Because this is the shortest war in history. The Bible says when he comes with his saints and angels, he will destroy the enemy with the breath of his mouth. He will go, and it's all over. Listen to how Zechariah describes this. He says, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. The Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. What to know about the course of history and what to know about the climax of history. Here's the third one. What to know about the culmination of history? What happens then? So Jesus comes back. He defeats the armies of Armageddon that come against Israel and then come against him. Well, what happens then is what is called the millennium. This is found in many places in the Bible. In fact, I had a teacher in prophecy when I was in seminary named Dwight Pentecost, and he used to say there's more information in the Bible about the millennium than any other topic you could ever research. It's not all together in one place. It's scattered all over in the minor prophets and in the major prophets. But the millennium, as you know, is a period of 1,000 years. Mille means 1,000, and annum is the word for annual or years. So millennium means 1,000 years. During this time, the Lord will be in charge, and he will fulfill all the promises he's made in Scripture regarding the people of Israel and the ultimate future of the earth. All the world will see globalization then in its finest, not under Nimrod, not under Nebuchadnezzar, not under Greece, not under Persia, not under Rome, and not under the Antichrist. Instead, under the Lord Jesus Christ, who will reign in that place. And what what is the world going to be like during these days? Well, the Bible is filled with information, and I'm not going to tell you a lot about it, because I already told you there's more in the Bible about this than any other subject, and we only have a short time here, so... It occupies this incredible amount of space. So let me summarize some of it for you, just to whet your appetite. During the coming global reign of Christ, Jerusalem will be the capital of the earth. And people from all the nations will come and visit Jerusalem to learn and to worship. The millennial temple in Jerusalem will be the most beautiful building on earth. And it will be filled with the glory of the Lord. 
A deep and mighty river will flow from beneath the temple, turning the desert into a paradise and the Dead Sea into a living lake. Fruit trees will grow along both sides of the river, bearing fresh fruit every month. And what do you need that fruit for? Because you're already going to be free of all sin. You'll need it because the Bible says it will enhance your enjoyment of the kingdom. The Lord Jesus will be the ultimate international diplomat, negotiating peace treaties between rival nations. He will bring peace to the earth, and wars will cease. He will occupy the ancient throne of his forefather, David. And agriculture on the earth, the Bible says, that agriculture will be so improved that the reapers will have a hard time staying ahead of the sowers. The grain and grapes will grow so fast that they can hardly be harvested. The deserts will become as green as the lush mountains. Life expectancy, get this, for those of us who have gray hair, the life expectancy will rival the lifespan of the days before the flood when people live to be hundreds of years old. Nature will be transformed so that the wolves and the lambs will graze side by side, as will lions and cows. And songs of praise will ascend from the ends of the earth, and joy will cover the world. Now, this is not eternity. This is not heaven. This is the prelude to heaven. This is the thousand years before we're all ushered into heaven. This is kind of pre-heaven, if you will. Isaiah 11.9 says, Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. The whole earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Just like it seems today the whole earth is filled with people who don't know the Lord and don't want to know the Lord, in that day the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And after the thousand-year reign of Christ, earth's history will be over. The old universe will melt away and God's children will be ushered into new heaven and new earth and the celestial city of New Jerusalem. What started out with Nimrod trying to rule from Babylon and runs the course of all human history through all of those empires will ultimately be proven to be foolishness in light of what happens when the right king is in the right place at the right time for the right reasons. You will see globalism perfected. Now, if the trajectory of history has been moving inch by inch toward a globalization for the Antichrist. And if the future of our planet is under the Antichrist after we've gone to heaven, what sort of people should we be? In the Bible, there's a single moment of sheer surprise that answers all those questions. And I want to close this message with that surprise passage. It's the ascension of Jesus Christ, who rose from the ground, left the globe at the end of his earthly life, And the book of Acts says this, When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Acts 1, 6 through 11, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they watched, He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him 
go into heaven. What a precious promise that was, that the Jesus they saw go up will be the same Jesus they see come down when he comes again to set up his kingdom on this earth and ultimately to reign and rule throughout eternity. So what should we be doing during this time as we await the coming king and the coming kingdom? First of all, we should worship our glorified Christ. First thing I want to do when I read this passage is to worship Jesus. He came into the world, died for the world, rose from the dead, left the world, was caught up into heaven. He resumed his place at the right hand of the Father. And one of the disciples who saw Jesus ascend into the clouds was the apostle John. And many years later, he had a vision of Jesus, glorified and magnified. And John described in Revelation chapter 1 what he looks like in heaven. He said, the Son of Man was clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about with chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. This Jesus that had walked the dusty roads of Galilee now is in heaven, presiding over the affairs of the universe and the annals of history. And we're not left alone in a cauldron of confusion. In the midst of a chaotic world, we have a steadfast Savior who is preparing to come back again and take us to be with him. So worshiping him keeps us focused on eternal realities and sane amid the seemingly erratic things that are going on around us. The way to stay sane when it's crazy like it is is to make sure you're worshiping the Lord. In uncertain times, we can either worry or we can worship, and I suggest the latter. The more you worship the Lord, the more you worship the Lord, the less you worry about the things you don't understand. Because if he's in charge... And if he's high and lifted up, really what else matters? Because we know ultimately he will make all things right. After worshiping your glorified Christ, here's number two. Embrace your global mission. Let me just stop for a moment and give you another take on globalization. The disciples didn't stay in that spot gazing up into heaven after Jesus went up. They didn't fossilize there looking up to heaven Prompted by two angels, they went back to Jerusalem to prepare for something new, the global mission of the gospel. In a world that is globalizing, we have a mission that is global. As never before in human history, we have an opportunity to take the gospel to every town, every tribe, and every tongue. Dr. Albert Moeller, who is the president of a great seminary in this country, wrote these words. The church when it is faithful, always thinks in global terms. The world now thinks of globalization as a great economic, technological, and political fact. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ understands global mission as a command, as a mandate from the Lord. While the world may debate globalization in terms of its economic and sociological effects, the church must see it as an unprecedented opportunity. Globalization may be a surprise to sociologists and politicians and businessmen, but it comes as great promise to followers of Jesus Christ. What did he say? Go into all of the world and preach the gospel. In that respect, we all ought to be globalists. Amen? We're globalists when it comes to the spread of the gospel. The gospel is for everyone, everywhere. We are called to the world. We are called to the whole globe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you look around, you will see multitudes of people who are simply bewildered by life, as lost as an airplane over the oceans without navigation. Many of them just simply crash. 
Yet here we are with the gospel. And now, more than ever before, with the means to share the gospel. I remember several years ago, I went to the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina, where it's the Billy Graham Cove, and they have conferences there all the time. And Don and I were there to teach for a week, and after dinner, they made this announcement. Billy Graham was celebrating his 90th birthday, and on that next week, he was going to speak to more people at one time than anyone has ever addressed in the history of the world. He was going to preach the gospel to one billion people. They had hooked it up with all of these networks and all of this stuff electronically. He was going to preach, and one billion people would have access to his words. Now, that's what you call a global sermon. (laughs) But let me just stop and tell you that while we can't do that, perhaps, maybe we're not set up to do that, What we're doing now with the reach of Turning Point around the world is also pretty amazing. In places I can't even pronounce, in languages I don't speak, the gospel is being presented and people are responding and coming to Christ. We're just one of many ministries that should be doing that. But I have to think this, that the gospel is spread there because of the vision of the people of this church. Someone told me a long time ago, The farther the light shines, the brighter it has to be at home. So we better make sure that we keep our focus on missions. God blesses the local church, and then through the local church, he's blessed Turning Point to reach hundreds of thousands of people in many lands. If you go to India today, there are three major languages that are spoken in India. I preach on television in all three of them, and it's lip-synced. So... I see myself preaching in Telugu, and I wonder, how did I ever learn that language? (laughs) I am preaching the gospel in languages I've never even heard of because of the technological opportunity that comes with the globalization of the gospel. Minji was a prisoner in a North Korean labor camp. Upon her release, she decided to defect to South Korea via China. While there, she became exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Chinese authorities discovered she was a North Korean defector, and they sent her to prison. A month into her imprisonment, Minji saw two words written by another prisoner in toothpaste on the wall. And those two words were Jesus Christ. It was her first time ever to see or hear those words, and she was deeply moved. Her fellow prisoner shared the gospel with her, and Minji was born again. After her release from prison, She made her way to South Korea, where she's being trained by the persecution watchdog organization, Voice of the Martyrs. She wants to share Christ with everyone she can. That's what happens when you reach people in different cultures. They want to reach their culture. This is the first time in my life I've heard of the gospel being shared with toothpaste, but the Lord is doing something unusual in our day, and we shouldn't be surprised. We've never had more potential in reaching the globe for Jesus Christ. So let me just talk to you very pointedly. Maybe you live in a small apartment, and maybe all you have is a phone or perhaps an old laptop that's outdated. How can you use these tools to share Christ with someone on the other side of the globe? How can you use social media not to argue and debate, but to love and to care and to share Christ? What can you do in your local church to advance the global reach of the kingdom? And what ministries can you support that will reach the regions beyond? What missionaries can you encourage? As long as Christ is tarrying and he's not coming, we must keep going to our cities and states and nations and to the uttermost parts of the world. God has called us to go to all the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel.
Finally, in addition to worshiping your glorified Christ and embracing our global mission, we should always anticipate what's coming for all of us. Going back to the ascension of Christ in Acts 1, Jesus had no sooner disappeared into a bright cloud of glory than two angels showed up, and they must have been hurtling down from heaven as Jesus was rocketing up. And they said to the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. I remember reading this historical narrative that on one occasion during his presidency, Woodrow Wilson was on his hands and knees in a Paris mansion, peering through his glasses at a huge map on the floor, trying to figure out how to carve up the world. Around him, other world leaders were doing the same. They dreamed of a new world order that would hasten global peace. And they were on their knees with the map, trying to figure out how they could manage the world to make that happen. Well... The collapse of Germany meant Europe could be reorganized, and the fall of the Ottoman Empire demanded the redrawing of the borders of the nations of the Middle East. Many of the great dynasties had been wiped away like chalk from a blackboard. America had emerged as the greatest nation in history, and Wilson was determined to reconstruct the entire globe. He was going to do that because he was in a position of power. He dreamed of a league of nations that could prevent future wars through collective history. As these rulers studied the map on their hands and knees, First Lady Edith Wilson walked in and laughed. You look like a lot of little boys playing a chess game, she said. The president looked up at her over his glasses and he said, Alas, it is the most serious game ever undertaken, for on the result of it hangs, in my estimation, the future of peace in the world. Alas is a good word to describe what happened. The League of Nations failed. Woodrow Wilson worked himself into a debilitating stroke. Edith secretly served as a shadow president, and the end of the First World War sowed the seeds for the Second World War, and we're still fighting endless conflicts over the fracturing of the world that occurred in that Paris mansion. No, my friend, human-based globalism isn't the answer to our world. It will lead only to the final one-world government of the Antichrist. I don't know how far we are from those days, but in my opinion, we're one existential crisis away. But the Lord still has the whole world in his hands, so we must never fear. Christ will appear just as he ascended, and he will establish a kingdom to show us how things should have always been. Then he'll usher us through the gates of our eternal home. In the meantime, let's worship him every day. Let's speed the gospel on its way through our global reach. And let's look forward to his soon and swift return. Well, amen. That's what we need to do. If you have the book, please study the last uh, few pages of this chapter and uh, put into practice the things that you can do to make a difference even in your world. There is something we can all do. Hey, tomorrow we're going to talk about a biological prophecy. We're going to talk about pandemics like we didn't know what they were, right? (laughs) And we'll have some insight into all that has happened to us over these last uh, two or three years. And what the Bible has to say about it, it's one of the prophecies Jesus made in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. Once again, um, we remind you that we are going to Israel in 2024. 
Um, March the 12th through the 22nd are the dates. Major sites, Jerusalem, Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, will have artists Michael Sanchez and Uriel Vega, and uh, more to be announced as we get closer to the time. This is one of the uh, events that you do not want to miss. Uh, I've been there several times, as you know, and every time I go, it's like a, a fresh, uh, a fresh anointing from God to see all of the places where what we believe so deeply, all those places where those things were born. And uh, if you've never been to Israel, please take advantage of this opportunity. Be one of the first. To get your name on the list, go to our website, davidjeremiah.org, and there's a place there. Get all the information you need. And most of all, be sure and join us tomorrow for the Friday edition of Turning Point. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Let us know how Turning Point is encouraging you by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Tawasson, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Where Do We Go From Here? Plus the bonus resource, Warning Signs of the End Times. They're yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue Where Do We Go From Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane was hosting a meeting of ministers in his home. McShane went around and asked each minister if he thought Christ would return that very night. The ministers each replied no, they did not believe Christ would return that night. Then McShane took his Bible and read to them Jesus' words of Matthew 24, 44, 
Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If you don't expect Christ to return today, then you best be ready, for it will happen on just such a day. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's plans for Christ's second coming on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today. Today.